Hi fam, it's Amara. Welcome to the Translash podcast, where we tell trans stories to save trans lives. Well, it's that time of the year that so many in our community dread, Valentine's Day. With its emphasis on heterosexual cis love, so many of us feel written out and like our relationships, including those which are polyamorous or non-monogamous, are invisible. That's why we wanted to spotlight trans love in this episode. But not just any old love. We're talking about T for T. All trans relationships, sex and love-wise. Now, I know for me that I did not feel real love for myself, Hugh Mary J. Blige, until I began my gender journey. And that then opened up entirely new possibilities for me, especially with other trans people. And if the current trend of T4T relationships in our community is any indication, I'm not alone in this. Turn on any app and T4T is in profile after profile. So this week, we're talking to two amazing trans people to discuss their liberatory journey of trans love and sex. And in departure from our usual style in this podcast, I, along with our guest, will be getting up close and personal about what turns me on and how it's changed as I've become more comfortable with who I am. First, we're joined by the incredibly talented artist and producer, Zachary Drucker, to talk about t for t or Trans for Trans Love. My experience is really unique. You know, I feel like my subjective experience of the world is expansive as my gender is. And then I'm able to be all of those things when I'm in a relation to another trans or non-binary person. Then I sit down with Brittany De La Creta, an author and essayist, to talk about queer and trans sex as liberation. Allowing myself to be fully who I am and be openly trans has also allowed me to embrace uh, really openly and fully the fact that I want to be dating mostly other trans people. So you can tell this is going to be a good show. So pull close. And even though this episode is all about trans joy, we're still starting a segment just for that. Because in this environment, there's never enough trans joy. Hey, y'all. I'm Erin Haynes, the host of The Amendment, a brand new weekly podcast on gender, politics, and power brought to you by the 19th News and Wonder Media Network. You've probably heard the news that this election year, our democracy is at stake. On The Amendment, I'm breaking down what that actually means, specifically for the marginalized folks who depend on our democracy the most. This is a show that dives past the headlines and gets clear on the unfinished work of our democracy. Listen to The Amendment now, wherever you get your podcasts. This is a time of year where we might be thinking about gifts for the people we love. And something that brings me joy is giving thoughtful and beautiful gifts made by talented queer and trans makers. With that in mind, I want to highlight the work of Becca Lynn of Queer Quay Designs. Becca is a two-spirit member of the Little Traverse Bay Bands of Odawa Indians and an artist who makes gorgeous LGBTQ pride beadwork. 
Their work started as a practice to help them heal from trauma and connect to their community. Here's Becca to tell us more. I receive messages all the time of people coming across my work for the first time and they're in the parking lot and they have tears of joy because they just saw themselves represented for once. That's a huge problem with Native people in general is the invisibility of us and our problems and our joy. The somewhat visibility that we do have is often very negative or very heartbreaking, which is part of the reality of being a Native person, but there's so much beauty and so much joy and connection too. Becca says that even though their art centers Native people, their work is for everyone to wear. She just asks that if you do, that you stand up for Native rights. You can find a link to the Queer Quay Design store in the show notes for this episode. Becca, you and your incredible work are trans joy. On to the show. But before we get started, I wanted to let you know that because of the nature of what we're talking about, this episode is rated E. So if your kids or nibblings are around, grab their over-the-ear headphones and their iPad. And also, I just wanted to be clear that whatever we talk about today is fundamentally individual. There's nothing prescriptive about what attracts us to others within or outside our community. This is about our romantic experiences, not right or wrong answers. With that, it's time for our first guest. Zachary Drucker is an independent artist, cultural producer, and trans woman who aims to break down the way we think about gender and sexuality in her work. She's described herself as a gender clown, an outsider, and a heretic. Don't get mad at me, those are her words, which is an energy I'm excited to have in this conversation. You're probably familiar with some of Zachary's work. She was a producer for the Golden Globe and Emmy-winning series Transparent and the docu-series This Is Me. Zachary's also a decorated artist who has performed and exhibited her work in museums, galleries, and film festivals all over the world. Today, though, we're having Zachary on to talk about trans love and the power of t for t relationships. This has been a theme in her work. Zachary and her former partner, Reese Ernst, who is also trans, published a book called Relationship in 2016. The book is a stunning, an intimate look inside the lives of two people in the midst of radical self-realization, which can be a hallmark of t for t relationships. Zachary's life and art just exudes trans love and joy and messiness. I'm glad to have Zachary on today. Hello and welcome. Thank you so much, Amara. I'm so excited to be here. And thank you for creating this genius space of independent journalism and centering trans voices. I've told you before that Translash podcast is a an ephemeral trans community center. And I'm always tuning in. And I'm just so thankful to be here in conversation with you today. Thank you so much for your words. As a creative person to another creative person, that means a lot. And so I'm so grateful. And I'm grateful that it is of use to you as well, like it is apparently so many of our other listeners. Um, I really appreciate that. Absolutely. You're a trailblazer. Thank you. Thank you You're so doing much. That. Thank You're you. <laughs> creating a totally new space that, you know, we wouldn't have been able to imagine without you. Blazing a trail and trying not to set the forest on fire. <laughs> 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 that's, 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 that's the trick. 
Okay, so I want to turn to this specific realm. There's so many different ways and vectors into you and your work where we could talk about. And one of the ways in which you crashed upon the scene is through this particular lens of work. New York Magazine and others cited it in 2016 as a groundbreaking work into the lives of two people in transformation and transition. And so I'm wondering when you hear now the word T for T, what do you associate with transfer trans love and relationships? My initial association is Craigslist because that was a space where girls, you know, used to meet typically men looking for trans women. It was pre-dating apps. And the T for T section was generally a space where girls would share information. It was more like, look out for these guys and at the time when I met Reese, I had been messing around with cis guys for a long time already <laughs> since I was a teenager and was not expecting to be so drawn to a trans man. We were both in our fledgling kind of infancy as trans people. We were both had just started hormones. It was a surprise, but there was no expression of, or there was no word for it. And certainly there were no representations or, or very few representations of trans people loving each other. And we met in, in 2008. We made the images just documenting our life together. And the fact that we were transitioning was incidental to our kind of diaristic impulse to just capture falling in love and being in love and our everyday lives. And there was no premeditated idea that the work would be out there, but recognizing that there was such a vacuum of representation of trans people, because we literally wondered, I think at the beginning, like, has this ever existed before? And there were a few things we could point to, Southern Comfort, the documentary. But I think at the time we called ourselves like cross-gender reverse heterosexuals. And that was <laughs> like... <laughs> well, that was a word association. I didn't expect us to end there. Um, and in this relationship, even before you got to taking hundreds of photographs... What for you did being in relationship with another trans person do for you that you didn't get or you didn't experience from someone who's cis? I, it provided a boundless and limitless space of possibility and self-creation. We were free from the constraints of expectations of the kind of basic discrepancies that I think happen. There's a fluency. And I think it sometimes it scares people and, and they resist being in community spaces. And I, it certainly can be very challenging, but it's a space where you're able to really free yourself from the gendered expectations and cultural behavior that cis people, even subconsciously and subtly, We'll have to deal with. And then there's other things like being in a relationship with a trans person, like 
when you meet their family, for example, you're entering a family dynamic where everybody has processed the fact that there's a trans person in their family and you're not starting from scratch. You're not having to do all that work for the first time with a person's family of origin, if that's even an option. I mean, so many of us are expelled from our families. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, there's so much work that you don't have to do. And I I mean, I found my relationships with other people who are trans, trans men, trans masculine identified is that there is exactly what you said. There is a fluency, there is a fluidity because there are less barriers and expectations. There's the ability to go deeper. Um, that's not to say that's not possible with cis men, but oh boy, is it yeah. like trying to like <laughs> drill a hole in a diamond mountain with a wooden spoon. Yes. I mean, it's a lot. It's a lot. So vivid, yes. I mean, that's one of the things that I think that the idea of heteronormative relationships bring with them is that constriction, Mm -hmm. you know, the constriction of expectation really. Yeah. And one of the things that you all do so beautifully in the book is you show each other in your transitioning and then sometimes bending gender within your transitions, you doing drag or you just putting on makeup just throughout the entire process. For me, it was a representation and visually of like what the possibilities are in all relationships. Like if you were allowed to actually be human beings first rather than living up to the idea of who we're supposed to be within gender norms. Absolutely. Were you all conscious that you were sort of exploring possibilities in relationships as you were actually shooting those pictures? Or is that the result of just you all being you within your relationship and shooting them? I think it's a manifestation of the freedom that comes with being with another gender expansive person. I'm a woman. I identify as a woman. But inside of me, there's a part of me that identifies as a boy. And to be able to traverse the whole spectrum of who I am without feeling constrained, in your words, by, for example, cis man who's dealing with their own internalized homophobia and being with you and always being kind of conscious of like tailoring your behavior to not trigger somebody else's issues. We just do so much calculating, compartmentalizing, and thinking around a world that has not been built for us and Mm. would probably prefer that we didn't exist, that the freedom of being with another person where, like, you can really be your full self. And so, you know what I mean? Like, my experience is really unique. You know, I feel like my subjective experience of the world is expansive as my gender is. And then I'm able to be all of those things when I'm in a relation to another trans or non-binary person. Mm -hmm. It sounds like what you're saying is that in some ways, being in a T4T relationship, being able to be expansive, as you say, in all the different ways, free of these ideas of who you're supposed to be, it's something that even as the relationship with him ended, is something that you've continued to carry with you. Absolutely. And I just discovered this word last year, which I'm going to forget right now, but it's andro. Androsexual? Okay. What's that? <laughs> it means that, I mean, my characterization of my sexuality has always been like that I 
am attracted to people who are more masculine than I am. And that's been so many different things. Mm-hmm. So we're androsexuals? Yes, I think that's the word, yeah. What does andro mean, though? Like android? Uh, I, I think it means masculine. Let me look this up. Oh. Hang on. And- andro. Oh, androsexual. So you are attracted to... Individuals who experience sexual attraction toward men, males, and or masculinity, regardless of whether they were assigned male at birth. Listen, I never knew there was a name for it. I learned something. This is why we do this podcast, so we can learn shit, including the host. Yes. Oh, God. And I just a few months ago heard that, and I was like, oh, my God, I'm an androsexual. Because I, Listen, I've always been like. I'm going to put it on a T-shirt. We need a flag. You know, I, you know what I mean? Totally. We need a flag. Absolutely. Um, First of all, having a name for what you are is fantastic because it took me a really long time just to find out that that's what I was. And I didn't even know until right now that there was an actual name for it. It would have been really helpful to know that. But you were saying that you've always been an androsexual even before the word existed. And um, that, that being in this relationship, what did it reveal for you that you still maintain? Oh, so many things. And I I think I did realize at a young age that I was attracted to butches. And this is before Mm -hmm. trans folks were as populated as we are today, right? Mm -hmm. And so that was always something I was aware of, but couldn't really put my finger on. I'm a very sensual person. I think of the words that you described, I would say I'm a transsensual. <laughs> this sounds like the beginning of your online ad. I'm a very sensual person. All right, keep going. As a Taurus, <laughs> as somebody who's very earth-based. Me too. I've been really driven in life by libidinal pleasure and desire when it comes to dating other trans folks. I feel like it's a deeper relationship that you create and that also these people are kin like they are our family i'm currently in a relationship with a trans guy and at the end of the day there's a common ground that we stand on it's a much more expansive relationship in general i mean having a really juicy connection (laughs) to another trans person it's kind of a multiplicity there's like kind of moving in all directions and i feel as though trans masculine folks can do everything and more that cis guys can do (laughs) they can do everything that cis guys do better And there's more options, there's more directions in terms of just the sensuality of it. It's just space of infinite experimentation and and being different things. There's the possibility to really create something new every time. Whereas sometimes with cis dudes, you feel like you're just doing the same thing over and over again. And, you know, what you see is what you get. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Well, that's why we're having this conversation about T for T relationships and the power that can be within them. Yeah. And I'm so happy that you were able to join us today and appreciate your vision and your work and your vulnerability that you've displayed through your work. I know that you're working on some exciting projects, and I hope that when those projects launch in the near future, that you'll come back and have a conversation with us about them. I know that we'll be extremely interested 
and what they're going to have to teach us all. So thank you so much for coming on. Oh my God, thank you, Amara. And can I ask you any questions before <laughs> other things that you want to talk about in terms of tea for tea? Um, you know, I'm happy to answer any questions. It sounds like you have a burning question, so go ahead and ask <laughs> it. Sometimes this is where the gold is. Let's let's see where this goes. What's on your mind? What have you discovered and felt liberated by in tea for tea relationships? Mm, yeah, um, I think that for me, the ability to be able to live without an idea of who I was supposed to be yeah. forced me to be more of myself. Right. And in forcing me to be more of myself, what I have learned is more and more how to love myself. Yeah. Whereas when I was in relationships with cis men, I just kind of, I could be myself, but I also had to just kind of play a part. And that was really limiting. Though, as long as I played a part, I didn't really have to do anything else. Mm -hmm. And it's only when I started to let go of that, that I've had to be more and more and more of myself. It's me finding more of my liberation within that. And then as a result, everything else about the relationship is just at a much more intense and much more profound level. And then just to be also be honest, you know, just like separately, the level of eroticism is really intense for me mm -hmm. in a way that I have experienced with very few <laughs> cis men. Definitely. So I think that that's also the case. But I really believe that for me, that is a consequence of the emotional um, aspects that we are talking about. It's a deeper intimacy. Yeah, a di much deeper intimacy because I have to be deeper within myself, you know? And I can have lots of different moods and characters and things that show up in those relationships that fundamentally still aren't going to impact the fact that the other person still acknowledges my womanhood. Mm -hmm. And that that womanhood can have lots of different shades and pieces to it that come and go at will. And that's really powerful to be able to experience that in a relationship with someone else. To be free of the cis gaze also. I mean, just... <laughs> you know what? Oh, God, forgive me. You meant Z-E and I thought Y-S and I was like, oh, yeah, that too. But yes, I... Cis, <laughs> both guys. Cis, yes, both and uh, the cis gaze. Say, say something about that. What I do mean, you mean free of the cis gaze? I, I think that there's a tendency versus people to to see us through this very cis normative lens and certainly with cis guys who are trying to locate your transness in certain ways or, or fetishize it and then to the intimacy piece i think the ecosystem we're in right now is so devoid of spiritual connection of deep connection mm -hmm. ultimately deep intimacy uh, creates really satisfying sex. Yeah. To really see somebody and to like want to experience them in their full complexity mm -hmm. instead of just these like superficial gendered signifiers of, you know, that you're so vulnerable to when you're just putting yourself out there on a profile. Well, in this, we also get to experience our own complexity. You know what I mean? Like, it's not only that we get to experience them, I get to experience my own complexity with them. My own complexity is brought up to the surface. Amen. 
Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a lot here. There's a lot here. Well, again, thank you so much for coming on and for asking those questions. Thank you so much for having me. It's been such a gift to spend this time with you, and I can't wait to connect again. Thank you. Thank you so much. Hey, y'all. I'm Erin Haynes, the host of The Amendment, a brand new weekly podcast on gender, politics, and power, brought to you by the 19th News and Wonder Media Network. You've probably heard the news that this election year, our democracy is at stake. On The Amendment, I'm breaking down what that actually means, specifically for the marginalized folks who depend on our democracy the most. This is a show that dives past the headlines and gets clear on the unfinished work of our democracy. Listen to The Amendment now, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm so excited to be talking to Brittany De La Creta. Brittany is a freelance writer whose work sits at the intersection of sports, gender, culture, and queerness. They're one of the top reporters writing about sports and transness. Brittany also recently co-authored a book called Hail Mary, The Rise and Fall of the National Women's Football League. And I have it on good authority that it's a very queer book. Maybe a good Valentine's Day gift. But this episode is about trans love. That's a topic you can often find Brittany sharing about in moving personal essays and on Twitter. They practice non-monogamy and have written about the ways in which they found liberation through queer and trans sex. Brittany has given a lot of thought about leaving behind the scripts were given for sex and sexuality, and I'm excited to hear more about that journey. Brittany's work has been featured in Sports Illustrated, The New York Times, The Washington Post, Vogue, Elle, ESPNW, and more. Brittany, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. I think that this is so important and so powerful. One of the things that I am struck about is, as a queer trans person, understanding that the scripts and regulations and definitions of who we are and who we're supposed to be attracted to was so dominant in shaping your own sexuality and eventually in deciding to get married to a cis man. So I'm wondering if you can just color that background and those thoughts, because I think most people don't realize that even as we are queer and trans, we can still carry the legacy of thinking in ways that are consistent with cis Um, heterosexuality. This is something I still think about all the time because I've known I was queer since I was maybe like 19. It took me much longer to realize that I was trans, but I ask myself a lot like how I ended up married to and in a relationship with this cishet man for like 10 years if I already knew that I was queer. And in order to answer that question, I really have to look at the messages that we get from society that tell us the things that we should want and also the like real dearth of representation and variety in terms of like gender and masculinity, which I'm attracted to, right? And I had never seen queer masculinity 
I kind of defaulted to cis men because that is like what I saw in popular culture and didn't know there were other options. So there's all of these really like subtle and and kind of insidious ways that we get messages about what we should want and desire. That's exactly right. I think that for me, I had a very similar journey where sexuality led the way for me. And at some point I was like, no, that's not right. I'm not just like different sexually. I'm different in gender ways. And then those like had to unfold over time. I think that what I was so struck by in your catapult piece, which we'll link to in the notes, is that's great, all the words we just used in describing, but that doesn't begin to unpack the suffering that holding on to these ideas, if they're not right for us, can actually cause in our relationships. Yeah, like trying to fit in this box that was never right for me. And it was like always feeling slightly distant from my ex-husband and not really knowing why and really struggling to figure out why I didn't want to have sex with him, which made him feel rejected and undesirable. I think about the ways in which it was unfair to him to be in a relationship with someone who it turns out like was not attracted to him. You know, I ran through so many, like, maybe maybe I don't want to have sex because of this reason. And in my case, you know, I had young kids. And so you're talking to these other straight women who are married to men And they're saying, oh, yeah, I never have sex with my husband. We haven't had sex in years either. And there's this real ambivalence that is accepted in straight culture, which is a whole other thing. But what it did was it normalized the fact that I was completely ambivalent about my own relationship. And then it allowed me to like sit in the feeling of, I guess this is fine for a lot longer because I just didn't know that there was something else possible. And I had no idea that I was missing out on that. One of the things that my ex said after I left was he thanked me. He said, I feel like I've been given another chance. I was really grateful for that, but I could see the ways in which being with me had also denied him the ability to be with someone who was absolutely head over heels too. Emerging from this particular point and thinking about the specific touch points of discomfort and pain, like making it real, is for me when you describe in your article about how on your honeymoon night, your husband was like, let's have sex. And you literally turned the other way and kind of pushed him away and was like, I love you, but you know I can't really do this. I thought that that was a really fascinating moment. And I'm wondering what the impact on you was of not being able to express your sexuality or your desire in ways that felt affirming. Yeah, and see, I didn't know what the problem was. Then I wondered if I was asexual, and that would have been okay, but that didn't really ever feel right. There was this other piece of me that felt like I couldn't quite look at it, because if I looked at it, it would be too scary to admit, and it was the part of me that... I was jealous of my friends who were queer and had, like, hot queer partners. Or, like, I would want every hot, like, visibly queer person in the coffee shop to notice me. These things that if I looked too closely at them, like, I would have had to explode my life for. And there's a lot of other things that I didn't have context for until I came out of tr- as trans. So a lot of my dysphoria I experience is from the cis 
gaze on me and how I am being perceived. There's a lot of things that I realized recently and after coming out as trans, I've been thinking about this a lot, realizing that part of the reason I probably was struggling to have sex with my ex-husband was because he was seeing me as a woman and experiencing me as a woman and expecting me to perform as a woman. And that was actually a very dysphoric experience and my body was shutting that down. And so it was, you know, my queerness and my transness kind of coming together to like just shut the door on that experience. And one of the things that you talk about in this that added a point of lack of clarity about what was going on sexually for you was alcoholism and substance abuse. And I'm wondering, did it come across for you that the alcoholism was in any way related to these issues or was just totally separate? Like, I'm wondering if it was both like cause of confusion and then contributing to the confusion. What I think that alcohol and in my case, cocaine, those are my drugs of choice. What I think they allowed me to do was have sex that I didn't know that I didn't want to be having. So when that was removed from the equation, I didn't have the 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 thing that was numbing me anymore. And then there's also the aspect of recovery itself in which you're supposed to be, you know, not emotionally manipulative. And for me, growing up as someone who was socialized to be a woman and who was told that my power and worth was in being desirable to cishet men, I often used sex to get things that I wanted from men. And I also used it in relationships to get out of being accountable when I did things wrong. (laughs) And so it was very easy to be like, oh, you are mad at me. Would you like a blowjob? And then you will forget. And in recovery, I couldn't do those things anymore either. And um, everything just sort of shut down at that point because it wasn't anything that I actually like desired. Can you talk about the process and or the moment when you realize that the reason why you couldn't experience sexual liberation was because, as you said it, I wasn't a woman and I wasn't attracted to cis men. Kind of that understanding of the way in which your gender identity was different and also your sexuality was different. My partner, one of my partners who I've been dating since shortly after leaving my marriage, was the first person that I had sex with after leaving my marriage. And the first time that we had sex, it was like, oh, oh, I didn't know it could be like this. Something in me just sort of rearranged. And it was pretty immediate. And obviously over time, you you learn each other and you know each other and, and it all deepens. But to have that profound of a response, even the first time, I cried. Thank God he was like a very like lovely and understanding person because I cried after the first time we had sex because I was so relieved. I was so relieved. My gender came later and it came with the safety of and the freedom of living openly queer. And my partner is trans. That has really shifted our sex life and even our relationship even more in this much more like freer and more open and like it's gayer we can say weird shit to each other and it's hot and like <laughs> I just really enjoy that but I couldn't get to that place without having done the making sure I was queer first and in living openly in that queer life it gave me the freedom to kind of poke my head into other areas and see what else might be there yeah this is so relatable to me in so many different ways, mainly because 
it took me a really long time to realize that my gender and who I wanted to have sex with didn't have anything to do with each other. (laughs) Um, What I mean by that is that the more I became secure in my womanhood and in being trans and being a trans woman, the less I was sexually attracted to cis men, the less I wanted to be with them. Mm. And there was something for me in my gender journey of needing to have the idea that I was attracted to cis men and that cis men would find me attractive. That was essential for me to feel feminine and to feel like a woman. And the more that that came from me on the inside, the less I needed external validation from that. And then I had to go on this journey like you where... I was like, well, I think that they're hot, like, visually, but it's a sexual dynamic that I don't necessarily want to be in or even necessarily, like, every single body part, to be specific about it. And so I had to go on this realization that what I was attracted to was masculinity and a full range of masculinity, right? And once I was able to make that connection that, like, I'm a woman And I am attracted to masculinity and masculinity comes in lots of different bodies. And I love the sex that I have with those different types of bodies and the fact that they are at the same time masculine for me was liberation um, in a really powerful way. And I'm wondering how that strikes you. I really relate to this idea of like not needing the like external validation. When I was married, I felt so invisible. It really was so important for me to have my queerness validated in ways that I no longer feel I need because I feel so secure in like who I am. I think there's this other thing that I couldn't have quite articulated before I came out as trans, but I knew I was like really attracted to trans people. And that was something that I didn't quite like understand. And I had a lot of worry um, at being like, oh, am I a cis person that's like fetishizing people? And it has helped me understand so much more about who I'm attracted to, to realize like that I also am trans and like what I was seeing was other people like me. And I was being drawn to people who were like free. Allowing myself to be fully who I am and be openly trans has also allowed me to embrace uh, really openly and fully the fact that I want to be dating mostly other trans people. Yeah. And I think that for me, sex with other trans people is liberatory and is liberation. Like for me, it feels what freedom feels like in some really powerful and profound ways that I didn't know before and that I get to access parts of my desire. I get to access parts of my energy that I wouldn't otherwise. And for me, it just clicks for me in ways that other types of relationships were a stretch and always extremely fraught, just extremely rocky. And that's because those weren't what I was supposed to be doing. And I think trans people having sex with other trans people, loving other trans people, if that's right for you, is what freedom feels like, like in those moments. It's the thing that I have been fighting for and I didn't know was possible. Yeah. And this is something I'm also thinking a lot about. I'm writing what I'm hoping will be an essay collection about this kind of experience that I've had that I think is 
important because we get a lot of these messages about what things are supposed to look like. As I've been writing, one of the things that has been really important to me is to write the sex that I'm having on the page and to not censor it and to also not over-explain it. Where I can have, you know, multiple cocks mentioned and none of them are actual penises. And I, like, I hope cis people are confused, <laughs> like, a little bit, you know? But I think there's something beautiful and radical and freeing about putting trans sex on the page that way and just letting it spill out and making it really visible And that is something that's been really important to me as I'm thinking about the writing that I want to do. That's encouraging me. I was like, I might have a new part of my journaling. And for me, that is a really important point about not having to explain the sex that you're having or explain the attraction that you're having. Because for a while, I felt like I had to try to make sense of the type of sex that I was having uh, with trans men And, like, having to try to find a way to justify that within the context of who I was. And at some point when I was able to just say, this feels right, this feels good, we love this, and I am still myself, as I have fought to be, that was like the cork popping on um, the bottle of champagne. That's when I could really be free. And it's an ongoing exercise in continuing to be free because there's so much programming against that, that we're also carrying. A part of your sexual liberation is non-monogamy. This is one of the ways in which we might part ways. So for me, that has never been a part of my sexual expression. Although like having multiple partners while I'm not in a relationship has, but usually when I'm in relationships, I'm monogamous. And I'm wondering what's the intersection here for non-monogamy in your ongoing sexual exploration and liberation? Non-monogamy is more about my values in terms of how I want to do relationships, and it's not just related to sex. I think that monogamy works for the people that it works for, and I also think that I put monogamy in the same box of like the false bill of goods I was sold about the husband and, and the house and the whole deal that I was supposed to want. And so for me... Non-monogamy is actually about having radical values that say love is not a finite resource and that I can love multiple people and I can love them in different ways and in different capacities. I think a lot of us, and maybe more of us than we realize, because it's not the thing that we're, we're taught is acceptable or to want, but I think that a lot of us do have the capacity to love multiple people. And so I think it's more about that idea of like getting free. But obviously, I have multiple partners that I have sexual relationships with, and so there is sexual freedom tied up in there too. Yeah, yeah. I think for me, on a part of non-monogamy is that it's a management issue. Because oh, yes. part of me would be like, wait, who are you? And what are we doing today? Oh, wait, okay. And like that part of that would just make me upset, like just trying to figure out all of the different ways. It's So it's kind of a funny thing that on partly for me, it's an administrative issue. As okay, look, everyone is like, non-monogamy is just like having lots of sex and it's great. And like non-monogamy is having a lot of really hard conversations and managing your calendar. So. You listen, and my calendar is already hard enough to manage and to try to layer <laughs> that on top would just be a disaster. <laughs> Brittany, thank you so much for being, again, so brave and so honest and for sharing your experience and allowing me 
to share mine with you today. And I can't wait to continue to see what your life and what your writing reveals about um, new frontiers for us to be free. Thank you so much. Thank you. That was Brittany De La Creta, a freelance writer whose work sits at the intersection of sports, gender, culture, and queerness, talking about trans for trans sexual liberation. Thank you for joining me on the Translash podcast. Now listen all the way through to the end of the show for something extra. If you like what you heard, please go to Apple Podcasts to rate and review us. You can listen to Translash wherever you get your podcast. Check us out on the web at translash.org to sign up for our weekly newsletter. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Translash Media. Like us on Facebook and tell your friends. The Translash podcast is produced by Translash Media. The Translash team includes Oliver Ash Klein. Callie Wright, Montana Thomas, and Yannick Ike Mirko. Our intern is Marana Munson-Burke. Alexander Charles Adams does the sound editing for our show. Our digital strategy is handled by Daniela Capistrano. The music you heard was composed by Ben Draghi and also courtesy of ZZK Records. The Translash podcast is made possible by the support of the Ford Foundation, the Heisig Simons Foundation, and many others. Well, next week, I am looking forward to Valentine's Day. You never know what possibilities are, right? So we leave the possibilities open for love, however that may look for you, especially in this moment of darkness and uncertainty. A little light, even if it's slightly cheesy, (laughs) can be good. So um, I'm going to hold open the possibility of Valentine's Day and On February 17th, I'm also looking forward to a really important Black History Month conversation. It is going to be held um, and hosted by Twitter with a lot of different Black cultural voices, including my own. We'll put how you can join in the meeting notes. It's called Taking Up Space, and it's at Blackbirds. You can follow it on Twitter. And we're going to be speaking about the ways in which we hold each other accountable, but also provide for space and grace at redemption, if that's worthy. And just a whole bunch of controversial topics anyway. I think that a lot of people and places are in reflection right now. We're not just speeding through things like we normally have done in the past. This Black History Month feels so different than others. And so taking this time to think about things I think is really important. So I'm excited about that. Um, And also just during this month, I, I constantly just think about the need and the importance to write Black trans people back into Black history. Um, We've posted and continue to post a lot of things on Translash about that. Um, And we'll have programming later this month speaking specifically about that and future leadership that we have right now. But you know, it's Black History Month. And so I'm happy about this conversation that we're going to have on Twitter on February 17th. And you can join. I think it'll actually be video. It won't actually just be us like reading, you know, a bunch of characters. So make sure that you sign up and follow us. And with that, tell everybody about this Valentine's Day hot sex show. <laughs>